I am persuaded that the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector is more about God than it is about the Pharisee and the tax collector. It is about a God who only can judge the human heart, a God who determines to justify the godly. In other words, for us to truly be acceptable before God, we must approach him with humility. We must approach him with an attitude that recognizes that we are sinful people in need of God's grace and mercy. Three things that I hope that we can take away from this parable this afternoon is firstly that God does not expect us to be perfect before we come before him. He is willing to take us as we are and begin the process of leading us towards the direction of healing and new life in Jesus Christ. And so that we don't have to be better before we come to God, before we call out to him for grace and mercy, we simply need to want to change and be willing to trust in him for salvation and new life. So what does it take to be justified or to be made right with God? Let us be clear as possible that first we must acknowledge that we deserve nothing from God that we must confess our sinful attitude before God with true sorrow and embrace Christ as our Savior and our only hope. We must, brothers and sisters, acknowledge in humility that he alone can save us, and we therefore must put our confidence in his work, his death and resurrection, rather than our own works, accomplishments, and status in this life. It is said, that the gates of heaven are so low that none can enter it except by going on our knees. All that we can say when we become aware of God's grace and mercy is summed up in the hymn Rock of Ages. Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly, wash me, Savior, or I die. Secondly, we must recognize that true piety requires us to check our attitude towards others and be careful not to look down on others for whatever reason. In teaching about prayer, James exhorts us that true prayer is about loving God and loving people. That people who pray honestly are the most energized, to love others, and that no one who despises fellow men can truly pray in earnest. In prayer, we do not lift ourselves above our fellow men. In prayer, we remember that we are part and parcel of a great army of sinning, suffering, sorrowing humanity, all kneeling before the throne of God, seeking for his grace. And I think says it more profoundly, I think, than the quote attributed to St. Augustine, that the church is not a museum of saints, but a hospital for sinners. The place where we come and lay ourselves bare before God and pour out to, to him our hearts, all that weighs us down, and there's plenty that weighs us down, so that it can take away the darkness from our hearts. The church is the place we, we come and our sin is not celebrated. Rather, it is treated by the grace and mercy of God. 
we hold up the biblical ideals and standards and acknowledge that none of us with our own strength, with our own might, is able to meet those standards. It is a place of community and humility where no one considers themselves better than others. Sadly, in the history of our church, we find that people greatly rejoice in the failures of others because it sort of gives us a twinge of delight and makes us look better by comparison. Last Friday, Gary and I visited Bishop Allison, and the one thing that I came away with is when he said, all of us are sinners. All of us are forgiven sinners. You would think that somebody like Bishop Allison, somebody who stood for the gospel and has served as a bishop, an astute theologian, a writer of books that we read to date, would put confidence in the work that he has done for his church. But he does not do that. Instead, he identifies with the tax collector and he says, we are forgiven sinners. In our continued conversation, he wanders against the Phariseeism of our age, a type of pervasive counterfeit of the Christian faith that panders to our universal thirst for self-righteousness. Allow me to quote from a book he gave me to read, a chapter on Anglican Pharisees. He says at the beginning of that chapter, the initial stages of the ministries of Charles and John Wesley are excellent examples of the distorted teaching. Both were Anglicans, affirmed the creeds, councils, and articles of faith. But before their religious transformation, their faith consisted mostly of law with little grace. To them, Christianity was duty, demands to be obeyed, and sin to be controlled. The gospel they preached was neither good news to them, nor to whom they ministered. End of quote. So before we judge the Pharisees so quickly, let us know that we too can easily slip into Anglican Phariseeism, where our emphasis is on an outward performance without an inward spiritual transformation that makes meaning to a dying world. In closing, it is only when we set our lives against the life of God that we can know truly how righteous we are. All that the Pharisee said was true. He fasted, he prayed, he gave his tithes meticulously. meticulously. He was not as other men, and compared to other men, he was good. He was a good man. And today he might have stood and said, I am not a murderer, I am not a rapist. I have been faithful to my spouse. I don't take government handouts, and I don't cheat on my taxes. By these standards, he looked good. However, if you compare yourself to the standard of God's law, if you compare yourself to Christ, if you even compare yourself to the saints in other parts of the world who serve and follow Christ in the midst of suffering and poverty, we don't match up. The Lord examines our hearts and he calls us to be holy in our attitudes as well as our actions. He is addressing our lack of forgiveness, our indifference to those who hurt, our self-absorption, our idolatry, that we would come back to him. The Lord calls us to honor him all the time in every way. 
Paul was such a man that he was applauded and respected by the Christian community. And the community recognized that he had such a keen insight into the mind of God. However, when Paul stood before God, he did not measure himself by those around him. Instead, he looked at the holiness of God and the holy standard of God's word. And Paul knew that he had offended God so much by the way he lived his life. And so it did not matter what people said about him. The only thing that mattered to Paul is what Christ would say at the end, on the last day. When we set our lives beside the life of Jesus and beside the holiness of God, all that is left to say is, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Amen.